0: Friends, grace, mercy, and peace be upon you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, it's that time of the year. At least in our neighborhood, it's that time of the year. In our neighborhood, there are not a lot of fences, and so everybody's yard just sort of opens up into everybody else's yard, which at some level is slightly creepy, but on the other hand, on the other hand, you get to witness what it is your neighbors are doing. And in our neighborhood, it's that time of the year when people begin to adorn their decks Now, for some, their decks have been covered over the course of the winter and all of the furniture and things that are supposed to be on the deck, they've been under a tarp for that long, cold season. And for others, it's like they have a cavern in the bottom of their house where they pull up all of these things that suddenly land on the deck. And so here we are at that time of the year when everybody begins to put out their deck stuff. Now, for some in our neighborhood, that just means furniture. For others in our neighborhood, that means furniture and these uh, no end to the amount of flowers and plants that are also on their deck. Some even have herb boxes on their decks. And there are those who have, of course, bird feeders on their decks. So they're joined by all of the birds in the neighborhood to eat up all the safflower and sunflower seeds that they offer. But if that's not enough, they Are those on the deck who have furniture and pots and herb baskets and bird feeders, and then they also have their grill and their smoker all on the deck? Now, listen, in my neighborhood, friends, I'm just gonna be honest, this is an opportunity when I look out at what the neighbors are doing, this is an opportunity for me to practice not coveting, right? Because I see what is on other people's decks and I think, man. I could use that grill and that smoker and those plants, and I would love to replace the furniture on our deck. It is an opportunity to practice, Lord, I'm so thankful for what's here on my deck. There is one deck in particular, as you look out our back and just to the right, it is, it is beautiful. Like it is, the, it is the thing of coveting. Like that, that is the deck that everybody wants. But here's the bit of irony, they never use it, right? Like they adorn it with all of these things. Like it is, it is a beautiful space that I would want to spend a ton of time in, but at the end of the day, it just sits there. It's that time of the year in our neighborhood, and maybe it's that time of the year in yours as well. We're coming to the end of a three-week series called Leverage where we're asking the question, what does it mean to leverage the rhythms of the summer for the sake of investing in intentional relationships? investing in a relationship with the Lord, investing in relationship with those who are in the family of faith, and investing in relationships with those who are outside the family of faith. And summer, friends, summer is a wonderful opportunity, a a change in the rhythms and the pace of our families to invest intentionally in these relationships. Now, it's probably worth pausing just long enough to ask why we're even talking about investing in these three specific relationships. Well, friends, we we, we want to invest in these three relationships because these are the three relationships that Jesus spends his time engaging in. If we were to wander through the Gospels, we would see regularly, over and over again, times when Jesus would set the time aside to just be with the Father, to invest in his relationship with his heavenly Father. Often very early, exceedingly early, the Gospel writers would say, exceedingly early in the morning, Jesus would head out to a time of solitude, a silence of just being with His Father. There are times in the Gospels where the disciples wake up and they're like, where'd Jesus go? And lo and behold, Jesus on the side of a mountain just spending time with the Father. And so to us, as we think about the paces and the rhythms of our life, the need and the necessity to engage in that relationship, to just be, As we heard in week number one, when we are with Jesus, he sets the pace and the rhythm of our lives, that we walk with him, we work with him, we see how it is he lives life so that we might have life and life to the full. But Jesus doesn't solely spend time with the Father. He also spends a great amount of time with his disciples, teaching them, encouraging them, uh, sometimes chastising them. He spends time with those who are trying to orient their lives around his, and so to us. It is imperative, actually, that we spend time as a family of faith together, that we walk shoulder to shoulder in this life so that we can encourage and love and bear one another up. We are in this together. And so even as the even as the paces and the tempo and the rhythms of our summer change, it is still an opportunity to spend time together with the family of faith. And if we wander through the Gospels, we'll see Jesus again and again and again spending time with those who are outside of the faith, with those who are just crowds who've come to listen to this itinerant preacher, who've come for the healing of this healer from Nazareth. Jesus engages in that relationship. He invests in those moments for the sake of seeing more people in a relationship with His Father. And so to us, church, to leverage the rhythms and the paces and the tempo of the summer to engage in the mission of Christ Jesus, to see the the people who are in our path who, who don't yet know Jesus, and to ask how can we leverage then our summer? How can we be faithful with what's in our hands? for the sake of that relationship. And so this morning we're gonna spend some concerted time on that last one, what does it mean then to, to use the summer for the sake of mission? And to do that, we're gonna be in Genesis 18. So if you want to come along with me, you'll need a Bible. Uh, you can do that in paper, you can do it digitally, doesn't matter to me. But it is worth seeing what's written here in Genesis chapter 18, Genesis chapter 18 uh, verse one. Now. A little bit of context as you come to Genesis chapter 18. Uh, this, of course, is the story of Abraham. And Abraham, of course, was, was put into a covenant with God. Uh, God comes to Abram at the time and says, Abram, listen, I'm going to be your God and you and your descendants, you're going to be my people. I'm going to lead you to a land that's going to be flowing with milk and honey and your your descendants will be so many that it'll be like the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. I'm going to be, right? I'm going to be your God and you and your descendants, you're going to be my people. That's my promise to you. I'm making a a covenant with you, Abram. That's happening in Genesis chapter 15. Now, to to drive home the point, uh, God wants to, to mark Abram, uh, give him a mark of the covenant, so that he can see in his flesh the promise, the promise of God to be God and for them to be their people. And so in Genesis chapter 17, at a spry age of 99, Abraham is circumcised him and all the men in his household, they have been circumcised. And then, fans, we get to what we just heard read, Genesis chapter 18. So you have have to imagine here that more than likely, Abraham and the rest of the men in his household are in recovery, right? They're not supposed to lift more than five pounds, right? They're just trying to sit and to, to, uh, you know, to, to get well, if we can say that, right? And then, and then, chapter 18, verse one. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent at the heat of the day. No kidding that he's sitting, right? In recovery. And yet, the Lord shows up to him as he sits in that recovery. Verse two. Abraham looks up, and he saw three men standing nearby. Now, I know some of you are like, wait, the Lord appeared, and there are three people. Yes. Uh, Sometime this summer, we're going to do Stump J. Fox, and he'll try to figure out what the heck that means. You ask him later. He won't be able to tell you, nor will I, nor will Pastor Adam. But it is what it is. The Lord appeared, and there were three men. There it is. So he looks up and he sees these three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, look, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them. And he bowed low to the ground. And he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by, but let a little water be brought. And then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed, and then you can go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Abraham was in recovery, resting and waiting when he sees some travelers. And he offers them a spirit of hospitality to provide for them a place of refuge and rest and sustenance for their hunger. Now, we, we, we should pause again just to say that at the time of Abraham, Abraham and his family are really traversing through very rugged terrain, what we would know to be the desert. And so, as you can imagine, rest and refuge and sustenance for any traveler of the day are necessary. And so there is, there is at some level a, a hospitality that is baked into the culture. To simply care for those who have been on the move, to provide rest for the traveler, right? to be a refuge for those who are weary, to provide sustenance for those who are hungry. And so no doubt, no doubt Abraham is is living out part of what's already in the culture. I want to provide for you and give you the things that you need. But no, these are strangers to him. That his heart of hospitality is open to whoever happens to be in his path. And so let's continue. The visitors say to Abraham, Very well, they answer, do as you say. And so Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he says, get three seahs of the finest flour, knead it, and bake some bread. And then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf, and he gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. And then he brought some curds and some milk and the calf that had been prepared, and he set these before them. There is in Abraham this beautiful spirit of hospitality to provide for those who get put in his path, to simply look at what's in his hands and provide it. Now, now for Abraham, that is freshly baked bread and what sounds like steaks, right? When I, when I read this, right, I hear prime rib and sourdough. Like, that, I can't get around that. that. That's what's in his hands. He's just saying, listen, I've got this. This is what I have. It's what I possess. It's all I have, and it's all I possess, but I'm going to use what's in my hands for your needs. A hospitality is openness not only of heart, but it is an opportunity to leverage the things that are in our hands. Abraham provides for you and me, friends, as we enter into the summer. He offers a model of hospitality to be open to whoever crosses our path, to whoever stumbles in the way. Now for some of us, that might be while we're on vacation at a Hampton Inn continental breakfast, right? It it might be in the fifth wheel at some state park. It, It might be at a fire pit or on your deck. But there will no doubt be people who will cross your path over the course of the summer Who don't yet know Jesus. And we, friends, we have an opportunity to posture our hearts and our hands like Abraham. Some of you are saying, like, Pastor, I don't have a tender calf out back that I can just slaughter. We don't do sourdough in our house. That's okay. It doesn't have to be a tender calf and some sourdough, right? It doesn't have to be any of that. But if it is… My telephone number is 713-213-7193. You call me, and I will help you eat that and meet whoever you have. But if it's not, maybe for you, it's just a cold glass of lemonade offered to a neighbor. Maybe it's um, a package of s'mores around a bonfire at the state park next to your camper. Maybe, maybe it's pointing somebody in the direction of the freshly brewed coffee at the Hampton Inn Continental Breakfast. God's not asking us to do something crazy, He's just asking us to use whatever's in our hands to provide for refuge and rest, sustenance for those who are hungry. We have an opportunity, it seems, this summer to engage intentionally with those people who come into our path, who might not know Jesus, and to simply offer what it is we have. You know, it's interesting, if we fast forward to the Gospels, if we fast forward to the Gospels, we will watch Jesus engage with these people, kind of over and over and over and over again, and he'll do it in such a spectacular and yet nondescript way, that I think sometimes we miss it. But here's the fun thing, is that Abraham himself engages in the same way. Let's look at the very last few words of verse eight, those last few words of verse eight that I think if we just go by quickly we miss. So he brings some curds, some milk, and the calf that had been prepared. And he sets these before them. Here it is. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. He stood near them under a tree. It seems that one of the greatest gifts that Abraham has in order to exercise hospitality is simply His presence, to simply be present with those who are wandering, those sojourners, those foreigners, those strangers. He's simply present with them. You know, Sherry Turkle in her momentous book called Alone Together, begins to describe what she sees as a national pandemic or maybe even an international pandemic, particularly in the Western world, that we have a lot of people who are together but alone. She first notices this when she's out to dinner with her husband, and she observes a table of four across from her and her husband, and she sees that table of four sharing a table together and engaging in a meal together. There they are, right, all together except all four of them on a phone. They're together, but they're alone. It seems that if this is, in fact, an international pandemic, Perhaps one of the greatest gifts we, as followers of Jesus, have, a gift that we could leverage for the sake of hospitality, is our presence, our full, undivided attention, to stand near somebody and just wait, to be available to them. See what Abraham was doing, Jesus would continue to do. As he interacts with those who don't yet know him, who have not yet heard the good news. Have you ever just thought about Jesus? Two things. Jesus never seems to be in a hurry. And two, interruptions into his schedule don't seem to bother him. That no matter what happens in those interruptions, the people around him are certainly bothered, but he, he uses those interruptions and the people who are causing those interruptions as an opportunity to be fully present. I think of a blind man on the side of the road who's crying out, right, son of David, I want to see. And his disciples are like, listen, calm down, man, pipe down, right, this is the Lord, no, like, don't step on that. And Jesus, Jesus will be fully present with the blind man, to bring him sight. I think of the story of Jairus. Jairus' daughter is sick and he's sent people to summon Jesus, to bring Jesus so that he can bring healing to Jairus' daughter. And on the way, he's interrupted by a woman who's had a medical condition for about 10 years. And on one hand, Jesus could sort of be like, let's keep going because Jairus' daughter is sick and on the verge of death, right? But he doesn't. He stops, and He offers her His full and undivided attention. He offers His, his presence. You know, we, we, we shouldn't be shocked, actually, that this is the story for you and me, right? Paul, later in the New Testament, will describe us you and me, because of our sin, he'll describe us as strangers. He'll describe us as aliens, as foreigners, because we are, we are outside of the family of God, that sin has separated us from his family. And yet, the Father in his grace and in his mercy would send his son Jesus to take on flesh, and here it is, to be fully present with people, to be fully present with you and me, to be fully present with strangers and aliens and foreigners, those who are outside the faith, Jesus, fully present. And he would use, he would use what's in his hands so that more and more people might know that love. I think of Jesus on the cross of Calvary, nails buried deep in His hands, fully present to the suffering of humanity, and yet Jesus would use what's in His hands for you and for me to bring us into the fold, to have us sons and daughters. He offers His full presence. And then on the day of resurrection, when the disciples walk to an empty tomb, they think He's left, and He appears to them more present than He was in the flesh. It seems that one of the greatest gifts that we have, one of the greatest tools to be leveraged in our summer is the gift of our presence. It's something that's in our hands. But it is something that we could give. It's that time of the year. We're headed into summer, and the pace and the change, the rhythms, the tempo, all of this is going to change for you and me. But we have an opportunity, church, a beautiful opportunity to leverage these gifts, to leverage this tempo and pace and rhythm, to invest intentionally in relationships with a father with those in the family of faith, and those who God puts on our path. And so to that end, sisters and brothers in Christ, may God strengthen us by His Holy Spirit as we embrace the rhythms of the summer for the sake of investing in relationships today and every day. Amen? And may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, may it guard and keep our hearts in Christ Jesus today and every day. Amen.